Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. Our priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. Into. It. Make it so. Thank you to Alex for the last three hours of The Distant Sky. Kate Kingsmill will be back next Wednesday from 4 to 7pm with the show. Welcome to Bite Into It. Hey, we've got Lily Ryan in studio. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. And we have Joe Eaton. Good evening. Welcome back from across the ditch. Thank you. It's good to have you back. Uh, good to be back. Nice to be back in time for Melbourne Knowledge Week or Nam Nagu, which is on now until Sunday. They're presenting over 100 interactive events, workshops and performances across the city. And we thought tonight we'd have a little bit of a peek about some of the things that they're doing. We're going to speak to one of the hosts of the Crypto Ethics Roundtable coming up this Friday night. It's a big ask to have a roundtable on crypto ethics in these times. So, uh, yeah, we'll be speaking to Vidya Rajan all about that. Before we get there little bit of news. Um, I've been looking to the EU for, for some news lately and um, there's been a story bubbling away for a long time now. Um, the EU had sent a statement of objections to Apple over their practices regarding Apple Pay and they finally kind of consolidated their statement and uh, the official one's been sent off. So this is all about the fact that Apple integrated standard um, near-field communication, contactless payment technology into the iPhone a long time ago, and they called it Apple Pay. Um, but they didn't let other people use it, so they wouldn't let third-party apps access the APIs that you need to do all this fantastic waving around of your Apple Pay-enabled devices to pay for things at point of sales. The EU says that this is anti-competitive and that Apple has a monopoly on um, iOS, on their operating system. Now, this is harking back to when the EU um, similarly said something to Microsoft about having a monopoly on Windows and forcing people to use certain browsers and what have you. Um, so really, this is quite a strong statement and it, it will force Apple to open an API for third-party providers, at least in the EU. 
Um, even though it's a standalone case, this is the sort of issue that we can expect to come up in other EU uh, areas um, as they um, as their upcoming Digital Markets Act uh, becomes released, and we get more information about that. So it's not just significant for Apple, but also for Google and any other big player like Facebook and Amazon and not being able to lock technology to their own services in the EU. Uh, it's a good sign for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? I'm uh, I'm pretty keen to see that happen. I know that this is not a com- this is not an uncommon thing for Apple that they that they have a monopoly on all of the stuff that goes on on their phones. There's been a long-standing dispute about how people who make apps can take payments as well because they want to force it all to go through Apple and Apple will take their hefty cut and that makes it really hard for lots of small providers to um to operate so i know that um yeah this this like blows a big hole in that kind of philosophy of theirs which is pretty long-standing and honestly i'm kind of excited to see it happen i really hope that it becomes available globally um but yeah as as with a lot of stuff coming out of the eu we're seeing a lot of really positive changes i think for actual people's rights which is awesome they're leading the way and if they uh, force these changes then we know a it can be done and b it makes the argument that maybe it's more expensive to handle things differently in different jurisdictions which is really promising yeah 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 no i'm i'm just really keen to see how this goes out. I know that when the GDPR came out, the General Data Protection Regulation a couple of years ago, that had this really good positive knock-on effect for everybody around the world. So hoping the same happens here. Definitely. Yeah. What else is going on in news? Um, interestingly, and I came across this one last night, um, and it was British author Charlie Stross who tweeted about this one. He's a, he's a horror novelist who writes the Laundry series, which I quite enjoy. Um Anyway, he tweeted about this, even though it is about Australian election news. I'm learning it from this British horror novelist, which <laughs> feels kind of appropriate in some ways because the election is a bit of a horror show. And I like, I like everybody else. I cannot wait until it's over, to be honest with you. Anyway, um, he's been tweeting about um, this technology skills passport that the coalition has proposed to put into place if they are reelected. So this is a digital passport that will allow people to basically make a like a digital resume or a some kind of worse LinkedIn, if you can imagine such a thing. I'm not really sure. Um, that will give a list of, um, you know, everything that you've studied and all the qualifications you have and the positions you've had and that kind of thing that then you can take around and share to everybody else that you It's interesting, with. right? Because there are already so many different standards in, you know, in qualifying different people's education (laughs) that you can apply. And then there's the bunch of non-formal standards, which are, you know, there's a trend for industry badging and that sort of thing. And sometimes it's just tied to different companies and sometimes Mm. to different brands. Um, But then for a government to try and and standardise this separate to their already standardised education system seems a little unusual. Yeah, well, the reason a horror novelist was tweeting about it was the fact that he said that he'd put something like this in one of his previous novels as a kind of dystopian future thing, because if you think about it for more than two seconds, you'll realise that this really locks out a lot of people from a lot of things. Having this indelible record following you around is not always the best thing, as many cryptocurrency holders may also be aware of. But it is something that they are proposing to do, and it's the latest in a series of the government's absolute obsession with digital passports for basically everything that, you know, I'm not surprised that this has come up. Yes. When is the digital passport the solution? Never so far is the answer to that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
Can we maybe unpack for people what might be a, a bad outcome of having um, your permanent employee records to follow you around for life? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's the first case of um, the fact that it pins your qualifications there. And as anybody who is more than a couple of years out of university, if you had the privilege to go to university, will know your university education is really relevant in your working life. It becomes more and more about the experiences that you've had. But if we're going to be bringing all of that stuff up forever in somebody's career, it really makes it difficult for people to make the kinds of career changes that have been so valuable to many parts of the working world. And so that's a big problem. Yeah, not being able to edit also means that you can't tastefully start to uh, cope with age discrimination by dropping mm -hmm. the early records off. Yes. Yeah, and then there's, you know, well, what does the government consider to be valid kinds of work that go on there? Is it only paid employment? How do your volunteers things go? How, how do you put in the work and the experiences that you gain, say, being a parent? That kind of thing that we really don't want to see codified probably. I mean, there's probably the one upside to this is it'll prevent people from lying, but also prevent people from lying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They seem, it seems very vulnerable to, to hacking, you know, an electronic record like this. It's just like, well, you know, how do, how do we verify, you know, yeah. these credentials? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the big issues with digital passports, mm. you know, at the, in the whole, at the core of the thing and the issue that has come up again and again every time we've tried to introduce them. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting proposition. Um, so if you want digital passports that, <laughs> you know, track you everywhere you go, um, that is a party that has a policy for you, I guess. There you go. Coalition. Delivering terrifying technology projects yet again. We've just been joined by Vidya Rajan. Welcome, Vidya. Hi. Hey, How are you? very well, thank you. So in studio we have Lily Ryan, Joe Eaton, and I'm Vanessa Tahoka. And uh, for our guests, uh, sorry, for our audience this evening, we want to say that Nam Nagu Melbourne Knowledge Week is on now and one event particularly caught our eye. That's the one you're hosting. It's the Crypto Ethics Roundtable this Friday night. Um, mm -hmm. Vidya, you're part of the experimental comedy duo Nemesis who will be hosting yeah. the discussion. So thanks so much for being with us this evening. Um, welcome to Byte. Yeah, good to be here. It's great to have you. Well, so um, does your experimental comedy duo name Nemesis um, hint a little at what your panellists might have in store for them this Friday night? Um, yeah, look, there's maybe a slight trolling energy implied <laughs> in the name um, in that uh, – I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers. You might have to come see. But, yeah, I think um, – for instance, one of our panellists, Sorel Sam, is a digital artist who has actually minted uh, NFTs. Um, and so we got permission, but we are going to grill him about it a little bit. Excellent. We love to hear yeah. that. And, yeah. and tell us about your other guests. Uh, yeah, so we've got Rail, as I mentioned, who's an amazing digital artist. Uh, and then we've got um, Josh Taylor, who's a tech journalist, who's done a lot of journalism for The Guardian and places like that. And then we have Kat Gledhill, um, who is from Perth but is visiting. And um, uh, they're a digital rights activist, have worked with Electronic Frontiers Australia. So uh, a, good, a good mix of people. So what kind of uh, crypto ethics issues are you hoping to tease out in this roundtable with that mix of people and your uh, your keen yeah. energy? Yeah, so um, 
I guess we, it's an open access event, so we will, like, I think, define slightly what it is, because I think some people still a bit confused maybe on what cryptocurrency or um, crypto art NFTs, what that all means. Um, and it is, can be quite obtuse, so um, there'll be a bit of that. But I guess we're looking into um, why has it taken off like this? Uh, what what did it promise us, like the decentralised internet? What was the utopic promise of these currencies? Um, um and instruments, and then also we'll be looking at what went wrong, and is it a scam? Um, is it bad for the environment? Uh, sh- should we be getting on board, or, or is this going to pass? So you say uh, what went wrong. Does that indicate mm-hmm. something about the position that you're taking on these uh, yeah, <laughs> on these sure. technologies? I, mean, I guess I'm slight, especially with regards to. Um, it's complicated. Like, I've actually come around, like, I think, you know, especially as a comedian, you're often like, oh, it's, you look at what the flaws are to poke fun of it. But um, mm. I, I think it can be quite, it's more complicated than maybe I first thought. Um, but I generally have been, like, slightly more pessimistic um, about anything that has the energy of a pyramid scheme, you know, when that game is doing... Yeah, you know, Matt Damon's doing an like a shirtless ad or something about mm. like how everybody needs to buy. A, I don't, I can't remember which coin he was shilling, um, but needs to get into it now. Um, and just the, the fact, like a lot of the the way it's taken off without the checks and balances, like the environmental mm. impacts of it and things like that. Um, yeah, totally support like. Um, you know, a secure, like, what it can offer as well. But I think, yeah, I think we've rushed into it in that very Silicon Valley um, new cult way. Move fast and break things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah break the globe. <laughs> yeah. So, Vidya, do you feel under a tremendous amount of pressure to, to be everything mm. to everyone with this event, you know, trying to to explain some <laughs> relatively complex concepts? Yeah, see, the good thing is I'm moderating it along with Alistair, who's in the in the duo with me, um, and so we get to be fools who don't need to know <laughs> what's happening, and that is kind of our comedic personas as well. And then we've got these three very intelligent people who have the burden of that, that nuance placed on them, so it's kind of ideal for me, really. And And did you try and, you know, talk to a range of people when you were approaching how are you going to design a round table on this topic you know did you did you chat to any other people and and discover anything about how everyday people are cropping up against these issues um only I guess like my friends or family um and I think it ranges from people who've never heard of it um and given that it's open access we've kept that in mind a little bit uh to a lot of skepticism, um, and then some people. I, have, I know a few crypto bros myself, uh, <laughs> and so I have. To, and I, you know, I exist on the internet. Like I'm very on Twitter, so so I can't. I can't escape it. Um, and you know, I, I, yeah. So I, I feel like I've surveyed a lot and I've read a lot about it. So I don't think I'm um, doing anyone a disservice. Hopefully. Yeah. So what sort of energy are you hoping to to, to attract to that room? Well, oh, I don't know. Um, I guess, like, have you been to many Melbourne College Week Tons, events? tons. I'm a nerd, <laughs> yeah, so tons, I'm all yeah, over it. Is it, like, I've done, I, was, I did one and it was quite an interesting, like, mix of, because that one was about 5G and I was, I was one of the artists oh. presenting and there was, like, there was a lot of, like, um, business people and, like, some tech people and then, but a lot of, like, um, interested policy uh, people as well. So I don't, I'm hoping it's probably the same mix of 
just a range of community members, or maybe there's going to be like you know a, a protest where they. <laughs> well, that was. Uh... Um, yeah, maybe like some people will turn up. Um, and but then, did you see today, or was it today or yesterday that uh, Bitcoin's value just tanked? Mm, um, yeah. On yeah, like the first board ape that was bought for like three hundred thousand dollars. I think was resold for 151 or something. So, so the time yeah. for the yacht fund has passed. Yeah, I think so. I think that um, anyone trying to say that we might be um, not giving them a fair go of it just needs to look at that. Maybe. So, are you prepared yeah. for some crypto fans to also be in the audience? Look, I'm gonna. Until you said that right now, I, I wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't <laughs> It's fine of their fans. Um, you know, I'm not a, a complete anti at all, but I think, um, yeah, as long as they're not the, the typical tech bro who's going to get annoyed, I'm fine. <laughs> So, Vidya, we can't help but notice we're in the middle of a federal election campaign while you're out here mm. about to moderate a discussion. Um, yeah. Have you watched any of the uh, federal debates and uh, have you taken any do's or do nots from, from your learnings there? <laughs> um, someone just laughed in the background. Um, yeah, I, I, I caught a bit of the leaders' debate uh, and definitely, much more importantly, caught all the react to it online. Um, that is what Yeah, that's how you consume what's happening now, mm-hmm. isn't it? But um, I, my, my impression was that the moderator didn't do much, um, which, you know, uh, I understand. Because <laughs> 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 it's a cushy job if you can get it, but, like, I, I think we will be more involved. Um, and we've actually, look... All I'm going to say is I'm doing an office works run um, tomorrow, so like I'm actually I'm putting a bit more effort into it than that than that moderation I saw. Um, so. that, that bodes very well for all of us, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> is how no, you say I'm okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine handing out little like, individual bits of Bitcoin on Officeworks paper or something to all the people coming in so we're all equal stakeholders Look, in the night. There will be uh, a chance for audience participation. That's oh. not the, I, we're not going to do questions or comments. I think you can stay a bit after because I think it's got two hours, but it's actually only it'll be about an hour and then you can like mingle if you like. But um, there's going to be a, a different kind of audience participation at some point. Oh. You know, I think audience participation is really one of the things missing from the prime ministerial debates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vidya for the yeah, next moderator. Survey. Yeah, yeah. They didn't code that survey properly, did they? <laughs> hey, Vidya, we had real trouble finding the right um, emojis, let alone reacts, to to you know share the story about this great crypto ethics roundtable you're sharing have you had yeah. any better luck you know you're, you're a bit younger than I am and I reckon you might be on top of you know what is the emoji story for for crypto what do we do oh for, for like this specific event what's or, or just story? or just just yeah what emojis come to mind when you talk about this I found it pretty useless trying to I trying mean, to find things that fit I think like isn't a frog <laughs> A frog. I, know, I guess to be like a frog, like Pepe adjacent, some kind of animal. Like I just think that's very any tech thing. I often think of a frog, maybe like a frog, <laughs> uh, a knife, and like that, that emoji with um, you know, it's got like dollar signs in its eyes and like green <laughs> coming out of its mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
maybe that. <laughs> in the next, uh, in the in the most recent um, lineup of the um, Unicode uh, consortium release of emoji, um, they had one that was like smiling with with crying tears coming out of the eyes, and I feel like that really is one that, of the. That's cool. yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the new ones. So it's, everybody and use that with a little become, stock market. Graph. It's become one of my most used. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't see that on your phone, everybody, update your phone. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I need to do that. Well, Vidya, <laughs> we have no doubt that you're going to provide a very illuminating event for all your attendees and um, at the very least some, some great emoji action. Uh, thanks so much for sharing the event with us. Uh, for everyone in the audience, it is the Crypto Ethics Roundtable, part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. It's on this Friday, the 13th of May. Make of that what you will. Beginning at 5.30pm in Wesley Place, 130 Lonsdale Street. And, uh, yeah, Melbourne Knowledge Week is on until the 15th. Vidya Rajan, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> So if that last interview got you in the Melbourne Knowledge Week energy, um, you'll be pleased to know that Triple R is presenting um, more Melbourne Knowledge Week giveaways. So Melbourne Knowledge Week is on from now till Sunday, May 15th. And the annual festival brings Melbournians together to share ideas, challenge assumptions and spark new ways of thinking. Their Future on Film program is running this weekend, which features three films, followed by panel discussions on the legacy of each. And we have a few double passes to give away uh, to screenings of Strange Days, The Matrix and World on a Wire. Sensational. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, this Friday to Sunday, those are screening at the Capitol Theatre. Um, so if you're a Triple R subscriber and you'd like to head along, you can head to rrr.org.au to enter the competition and um, see you there, hopefully. That uh, should be good. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't win should definitely consider getting tickets anyway. Some excellent films there. And there's going to be a really interesting discussion about trans themes in The Matrix oh, after that, that screening. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. So I came across an article um, online the other day, as you do when you do them scrolling, um, which was about Facebook um, and the fact that Facebook, as I mean, I suppose we should say meta now, but Facebook, the product itself, um, they don't have any particular idea about what kinds of data they hold about us, where it goes, or what they should do about it, which is super cool and fun. It's quite a startling confession, isn't it? And that's – sorry, it's a startling confession. And that's very wide-ranging, you would think, um, the, the amount of people and products and brands that would affect – yeah, so the document itself was written by an internal Facebook team um, that were doing some privacy assessment stuff for their ad network and so on. And one of the quotes out of it was, we do not have an adequate level of control and explainability over how our systems use data, and thus we can't confidently make controlled policy changes or external commitments such as we will not use X data for Y purpose. So that's shocking, particularly um, after the revelations of the uh, measured, the, like the measurable damage that um, exposure to certain types of campaigns had done to people on Facebook, um, mm. where they'd sort of said, okay, we identified you're a slightly depressed person. Let's see if we can make you feel more depressed or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, super cool and ethical. Hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing that surprised me about this news, though, 
was that in the past there have been several journalists who've gone through the process of requesting all of the information that Facebook holds on them yeah. and, and getting that filed and, and reported to them. And it's always been masses of documents and kind of shocking in, in its volume. But they apparently have been able to deliver on those requests, as in most jurisdictions of the world, they are um, legally obligated to be able to do. What's really interesting about that is that I'm not sure how closely it defines data. So whether it's just here's a list of everything you've ever posted, everything you've ever liked and interacted with, that's one type of data that Facebook has about you. But Facebook has so much other data about you that it's either inferred or picked up on through its ad networks that kind of track you where you're going through your browser. Mm that it can be really tricky to know um, there's sort of like this first-party information that you share and then second- and third-party information that they infer about you. So and, Yeah, and it, then there's also the difference, say, in Australia in definitions between what is personal information and what's not, you know, which might still be private and might, you know, these two types of information have real, you know, specific um, restrictions over mm. how they can be shared, such as your financial information or your health information. Yeah. And so one of the things, and I think you were talking earlier about um, some of the regulations that have come into place that are trying to get on top of this stuff with companies. But one of the really um, astounding things that's come out of this has been the fact that Facebook internally has admitted that they don't actually know how they are going to comply with that kind of stuff because mm. they don't have that sort of visibility over their own operations. Um, so one of the one of the ways that uh, they described it was like if you got a bottle of ink and you spilled it into a lake, you can't get the ink back in that bottle. And that's how they that's how they internally have I think described it. Unless I'm misremembering, and it was the articles because the article was quite good. It was <laughs> it was on post. Yes. Um, I wanted to say also, if you yourself have thoughts and feel opinions about this, we would really like to hear from you. The Triple R text line is 0466981027. So if you have any kind of thoughts on this, feel free to share. Yeah, text yeah. them in. So that's 0466981027. I guess the area that I'm looking at most of the time is the regulatory compliance side. Mm. So the challenge that Meta would have on delivering, you know, a private data held report and presumably also trying to handle data breach reporting, um, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence when a report like this comes out and says, we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what we hold on you. And then trying to figure out where the boundaries of that information are seem to be beyond our um, ability at the moment. Mm. You think... But that's illegal. <laughs> You're not allowed to, to to scale so sort of incompetently. Um, that's really – it's a problem. So, um, look, I haven't read the actual report, so it would be really worth me getting my hands on it and having a look at that. And um, I'd love to see some some legal takes on what this is. I am not yeah. a lawyer. A-N-A-L. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm not either. But I, I do think that it's, it's really interesting and does kind of – call into question a lot of um, how effective these laws can be, I guess. I know that it's been a landmark to have some of this regulation, especially as we were talking about earlier, out of the EU in place to make us feel like we have some level of control over the information that partly that we're, you know, willingly giving to these platforms, but also the what by a larger proportion what they're taking from us while we're doing our normal online 
stuff. And I guess where this causes a bit of friction for their users is that over time, Facebook has introduced a whole range of extra features for people to supposedly manage um, what their data was and wasn't being used for, how they were being advertised to, all these other nuances, which spoke to, you know, the idea that they're improving their yeah. capability to do this over time. Uh, it really undermines, you know, the trust that they've started to build, <laughs> the fledgling trust. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a big public relations problem for yeah. Facebook. And we have, um, you know, historically we know that they have taken data that they have described as being for one purpose and used it for other purposes in cases where, um, say, for example, the phone number that you would have given them for multi-factor authentication, where you would, you know, log in and they would text you a a six-digit thing to your phone and you put that in so that it was extra level of security. So they were taking those phone numbers and adding them into the people you may know algorithm. And the same deal with when when you install it on your phone, it asks you if you want to upload all your contacts so you can find people that you know. Um, they were using that data too, feeding that into the people you know, people you may know algorithm, which is how you got all these creepily accurate suggestions for people you might want to connect with because they were cross-referencing everybody's phone books with each other. And they never seemed to really nail that idea that this was not going to result in desired recommendations mm. given the the real life ways that people use their phones like to keep numbers yeah. of people who should be blocked and are blocked and should never be contact them again we saw cases too of things like uh psychologists patients being recommended to, as friends to each <laughs> other jury members you know at some point there's some person oh. who's got all of those numbers in one place for i want to see that purpose. runaway jury movie done again but, you know <laughs> just all connected through through facebook messenger oh my gosh yeah i mean there's i guess there's an aspect to this also of um, maybe it's me maybe i'm cynical and jaded when i read something like this and i kind of think okay, sure, Facebook has been doing this for years. They can't do that much more that will surprise me. Um, It did surprise me to see them internally admitting that they can't actually control this beast that they have created, though. And also it sort of shows that they never really had the intention of putting any of these things in place. Like all of this privacy stuff is very clearly an afterthought. It's not something that was built in from the ground up. And that's that's a fantastic... um observation because when people do think about or how how do we get the benefits of social media without all of the ills inevitably you hear people talking about well design from the ground up you know design you know with the ethics built in from scratch Mm. because it's too late for so many of these other platforms and in some ways I do have a bit of empathy for for the people you know who kicked these off and got it all wrong because they were um they were breaking new ground. Yeah. Of course, mistakes were going to be made. The, the problem is that they're just so successful and, um, you know, you, they've got some of that first mover advantage where they've got so many people in that it's very hard to then shift and incentivize people to move to a new platform and motivate a bunch. Um, although with Facebook, it seems to be happening organically with a generation shift. Yeah, you know, people moving away, moving well, on to know, other things. Kids don't want to be on the same platform that their parents are on, for example, <laughs> which makes absolute sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it does also raise the question of how we move forward from this, knowing, okay, we can't put that ink back in the bottle and they know that and we know that. And even if the legislation says so, a lot of laws are 
nice fairy tales we tell ourselves to sleep at night sometimes. Yeah, so then what does the practical solution space look like instead of just, you know, bashing meta around the head with it? It's, yeah. it's also what could you do? What if you had to, t- you know, if, if this was one of the only jobs you could get and you had to take it and you're like, it's my job to try and solve for this, what on earth would you do? Yeah, I mean, you could always just... You've uh, got to break it into small parts. That would be a start, you know, and, yeah. and and the US government has spoken a lot about, well, maybe we do need to break some of these mega, you know, tech corps into, into smaller pieces. And I think creating Meta, the corporation, was part of a response to that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, splitting them up might be a thing. I, I kind of wonder too about what the future is because I know that the other part of creating Meta was the metaverse and... But wanting to make sure that their, you know, their many-armed operation that encompassed other things like Instagram and WhatsApp. And Lily, I just love things. the way you say metaverse, especially metaverse. every time. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see this, folks. I'm doing a hand gesture yes. as well. It's uh, hypnotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happens every time. But um, at which, for those who don't know, is not just a fancy hand gesture. It's also, um, you know, in, 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 the latest attempt at three-dimensional communication. <laughs> Three-dimensional uh, virtual reality space, a bit like Second Life, but you've got the headset on your head and you're talking to people. Oh, look, let's let's not um, pretend that coding for gestures isn't super cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's just um, an interesting space to be in where not only do they want your data from what you're doing browsing, but also your literal physical gestures they want to put. You know, there's devices on your head, that kind of thing, cameras all around. I keep reading articles about things like the future of health tech is Mm. um, wearables. Yeah. And yes, I love them, but also, no, this is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm warring with myself as the proto-consumer. Well, it's – I also own an Oculus Quest, which is their – one of their um, virtual – reality device headset things yeah. I got it during during the first lockdown because I wanted to look at spaces outside of my own house and um it was actually really helpful but also um it did it does mean that if I wanted to I could be on the metaverse well and we know that meta are investing heavily in R&D on their own device mm. you know to to let people be in the metaverse and I think that's why we have to keep coming back to the you've got to get the fundamentals right because you're only becoming more pervasive in the ways that you want to be involved in people's lives. So it's becoming more significant that, yeah. um, that you you know respect privacy and boundaries and, yeah, data sovereignty and all these sorts of things <laughs> in a million jurisdictions. Speaking of jurisdictions, we've just had a text. Oh. Um, someone has texted to... They must have um, tried to do something um, about uh, data theft. Um, they said that the Victorian police know very little about or what to do about all this online crime and data stealing. So once you're in a, a local government jurisdiction and something happens to you, where do you go? Who do you who do you ask yeah, for help? I imagine that must be tremendously difficult. I've, I've only really read instances of that happening in the States um, where people have all sorts of trouble online and um, know that you know, suspect that something illegal has happened, but find it very hard to to figure out what the policing solution is in that case and, and how to find experts within their, um, their government bodies. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, if Facebook themselves don't know how to deal with it at that other level, then... How can you expect law enforcement to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I will make sure, though, that we do have a link to that Vice article that goes out on Twitter later on because it's a really good read. It does a pretty deep dive into – there's a link also to the actual leaked document that was a Facebook internal document. It's instructive, yeah. if terrifying. It is always worth reaching out to community organisations if you're having those sort of troubles and trying to see you know, if they can help you navigate uh, that environment a little bit better. Um, and sometimes even you know, the journalists out there can be the ones – who draw enough attention to, to issues to mm-hmm. really um, start to create a path forward. I was interested to see that um, that Josh is going to be part of the Crypto Ethics Roundtable. Um, uh, Josh Taylor, yeah, a great a great tech journalist who's done some gonzo things themselves with, you know, freedom of information requests and what have you and, you know, really being at the cutting edge of testing the boundaries of and the protections of some of these issues in Australia – so um, those are the sort of people you can you can write to and see if they can help create a lens on your issue. Yeah, but thanks for thanks for texting us. Yeah, we hope you had some sort of resolution on that. Yeah, it's a tough one for for so many reasons, but um, Facebook themselves don't make it the easiest. I'm also kind of put in mind of oh there was a there was a tweet <laughs> went viral last November. Um, which was about the Torment Nexus, a sci-fi author. You know, in my book, I invented the Torment Nexus as a cautionary tale. Tech company. At long last, we have created the Torment Nexus from classic sci-fi novel, (laughs) Don't Create the Torment Nexus. (laughs) Oh, it's such a good tweet. Um, Instant classic. Um, But it does always put me in mind of the Torment Nexus. Every time we hear about something like this going on, going down, you know, it's an evocative uh, phrase too. It certainly is. I feel like I'm in a women's knitting circle where we're just, you know, calmly, rationally trying to deal with the tech, you know, dystopian reality we found ourselves in. <laughs> just... Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. We have Lily and Joe here. They're into it. I'm into it. That makes me very happy. Um, are you into Wordle? I play Wordle every day. I um, am ashamed to admit that I play Wordle, um, Hurdle, <laughs> 80s, Hurdle, 90s, Hurdle, New Zealand Music Month, Hurdle. Oh, wow. Um, all over and it. this one where you have to guess countries. By the oh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that's yeah. Wordle, right? Uh, global. Yeah. I play I yeah, I play the country guessing yeah. one and also Quartal, which is four wordles at once. Oh, no, all right, I haven't done all that right. One. I also <laughs> also do framed WTF, which I think might be my favourite. Oh. <laughs> well you've given people a million options there. I was just gonna talk about Wordle. That's amazing. Okay, no, we've got light years ahead. <laughs> I've got to say, I gave up Wordle after New York Times bought it, not because they bought it, but because I lost my history and then I just sort of lost motivation. Yeah, but uh, I guess that's what we want to talk about, you know, the tech handover issues. Uh, First of all, has buying Wordle paid off for the New York Times? Well, it absolutely has. Um, People really like it. And while users have dropped off slightly, and you can sort of see this in a graph, um, really, people love it. They love that it's once a day. They love that it's not creating any bad addictive behaviours other than the once a day. You know, it's sort of a contained, mm. manageable, minor addiction, not not a really damaging, life-affecting sort of addiction. Uh, and and people like to talk about it. They like the idea that they're getting a common word and it's something in common around the world until this week. Yeah. Did you guys experience this? I, I wasn't playing, so I didn't. <laughs> I was too late to experience it. Okay. Yeah, I um, I did not. I got one of the words 
but it didn't occur to me until later, mostly because we do get the words a little earlier than the United States when the news tends to clock in on that. Yeah, so what happened was uh, there was a flurry of tweets and usually it's very verboten to to release the uh, announce the word or word before everyone solved the puzzle around the world. You know, mm. there's, a, there's a good 24 hours there where you're safe. But um, what had happened was that some people had had the word fetal. Fetus, I think. Fetus. There but you go. The, the US spelling, so it's five letters. Right, yeah. right. And then others had had a different word. Shine. Shine, there you go. Very different words. Mm. And it turned out that as part of being onboarded into the New York Times, they had had a bit of a read and said, you know what we're going to do? If there's a word that's a little too tied to the news of the day, we're going to not use that word. But the problem was in trying to deploy their technology, they could get most people, but they couldn't get it changed for everybody because hard-coded into Wordle at the moment is words up to about 2027, I believe. Yeah, yeah. if you um, if you look at the source of yeah. Wordle in a browser, you can see it. There's a, there's the whole list. I mean, you ruin the game for yourself, so only do that if you hate fun, I guess. But and Don't have an eidetic memory. Yeah. Might be all right. <laughs> but, yeah, they. Um, from what I understand, the problem was because some of the history had been cached for some people who never refreshed their browsers, so they still had the old words. So. Mm, because they were worried that they were going to lose all their results. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, which is a good You just valid, can't win. You just can't win. Valid anyway. concern. <laughs> anyway, look, it was quite heartwarming actually to see that much interaction and just go, oh, that many people still do get a kick out of it. What a what a great little game. I feel like nothing has brought us together like world, like Wordle since that ship got stuck in the Seuss Canal. Mm. <laughs> yes, I totally forgot about that. But yeah. There you go. All right, well, that was our weird news of the week. Love it. Um, I love that Warren coined that. It is exactly what I need as a palate cleanser at this point in the show. Mm, especially after our <laughs> big downer discussion. Yeah, but let's go to events and opportunities. I'm also loving that there are tons of them because Melbourne is pretty much open for most people. It's wild. Yeah, lots of people are masking, which is really nice to see. Um, but Melbourne Knowledge Week is on. We've mentioned it quite a few times. And one of the events that caught my eye was um, – the idea that it was time to demystify artificial intelligence and have a nice public chat about that. And the people who are going to be chatting about that are Campbell Wilson, Maria Garcia de la Vanda, Christoph Bergmeier and Rashina Hoda, a nice diverse crowd. This Thursday, 6.30pm, they're doing it in person and live stream. Difficult to do those hybrid events, so good luck to them. So feel free to look that up on the Melbourne Knowledge Week site if you're interested in artificial intelligence. Another one of the events that's happening is the Melbourne Surveillance Walk, which I have a personal investment in because I'm one of the people running it. Um, so I'm I'm on the board of Digital Rights Watch and Digital Rights Watch is part of this event. We're running it. Vanessa and I actually walked it together last year. So it's the second year running. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we go up uh, Swanston Street and talk to you about the way that um, the city is surveilled and just gets you to look at it in a new way. So we're doing that again this year on Sunday, the 15th of May, twice in the morning on the Sunday. It's free as well. Um, so if you want to get thoroughly spooked by walking up Swanston Street, um, then come along. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, prompted some really interesting conversations last time and, 
yeah, all the best to you guys. Now that I've left Digital Rights Watch, um, I'm just like it's really nice watching as a punter seeing these events crop up. Yeah, hard to do that one hybrid though. It will be a physical walk <laughs> or roll or whatever you want, but we, it's in person. Certainly will. Hey, and this Friday, um, if you happen to be able to make some time in the middle of the day at 2 p.m., there is a really interesting discussion going on about WeChat and the Australian election. So Ooh. WeChat being the Chinese social media app. Um, there's a bunch of research being done by Robbie Fordyce and Fan Yang, and we've spoken to both of them on this show before, and Luke Heemsbergen of Deakin University, and also Sejun Shen of Monash University. They've gathered over 3,000 election-relevant news articles from WeChat in the last six months, and they'll be um, talking about how um, they've developed, you know, a comprehensive account of political coverage on WeChat and what their insights are into the, the nature of election coverage. Uh, which will be really interesting to see. Um, yeah. No, no, you know, bastardized core flutes in that in <laughs> that, that um, app. We imagine. Yeah, I can see it goes twenty five minutes followed by questions. I can't imagine how you could condense a topic that amazingly complex into twenty five minutes. So it should be impressive just to see how they do it. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty good communicators. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a final digital rights watch event online safety in 2022 yeah um so this one is is not part of melbourne knowledge week uh it will be happening separately i think but that is wednesday the 18th of may um digital rights watch is teaming out with gender equity victoria for an online discussion about online safety in 2022 and always uh, that's a hot topic it's so topical yeah yeah um so we've got um the digital rights watch program lead samantha floriani Catherine Gledhill-Tucker of the EFA, who's also one of the people who will be on that uh, crypto Crypto. roundtable. I love it. Yeah, and Eliza Sorensen of Assembly 4. So that conversation is going to be amazing. I have my ticket already. It's an online discussion about online safety, so we get super uh, fourth wall about it probably. Um, I really love the human rights lens that is being brought to that sort of discussion at the moment. And it's it's so in contrast to the, the... you know, the lack of vision we're getting from some federal politicians on these sort of topics right now. Uh, yeah. So a bit of an antidote to that, really. Yeah, and they're all wonderful people and wonderful speakers. Yeah. Look out for um, for tickets to that on human, humanitics.com. Um, excellent yeah. platform. Hey, thanks so much for being in studio with me tonight. Joe, Lily, it's been lovely. I've been Vanessa. Thanks to our guest this evening, Vidya Rajan, who will be hosting the Crypto Ethics Roundtable discussion as part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. Uh, and thanks to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, podcaster, Matt Hall. We've been by into it. It's been a pleasure being with you. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground up next with Andy. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. 